the only choice we have left now is to be differently in our world because you know we are really on the edge and there is no other way left for us we cannot with manipulation try to uh, cheat our way through all of this we have to really deeply change in order to respond to what's needed right now and uh, these problems which we are facing globally are incredibly complex and uh, in science there are called these days hyper-objects or wicked problems because they are effectively insoluble. And uh, because each attempt, you know, to try to solve one aspect creates other aspects. And uh, the climate issue is such a problem of this kind. You try to solve one thing and create another thing. It's, it's, and it's endless like this. Because it's simply because, you know, science can't really fully uh, discern or describe the way things truly are. This is impossible. Because there's like certain, you know, uh, properties of uh, living systems like a planet or a person, certain emergent properties, they can't be described in this way, such as, for example, health or happiness, it can't be quantified, it can't be really fully measured, it's impossible. No computer, however powerful, uh, can do this, and that's the limitations we have to learn to live within, because we can't change that. And, uh, and because of that, you know, we need to take more seriously other ways of uh, looking at the world other ways of, uh, you know, looking at our experience. And I think the Buddha Dhamma is one such way, you know, which looks at experience in a very different way than science tries to pin it down. And uh, Buddhism, you know, from the very beginning, it's all clear. It's a constant changing process. And we are looking at qualities rather than at uh, things we can measure and can, you know, tightly define. And, you know, to really understand those limits is, is really, um, you know, it's a real upset for the uh, cultural conditioning, you know, of um, endless growth, you know, which our culture is still addicted to and which we have to really wake up from and see that this is really at the bottom of the problem is uh, a deep misunderstanding which is so um, permeating our whole way of approaching life that we really have to make a concerted effort to discern that because it's everywhere. So we are inside of it like a fish in water. So we need to really turn on our mindfulness, awareness, and have a real interest in order to be able to get a handle on this. So we need to really step out uh, from our usual frameworks uh, of looking at experience and open up to new ways of seeing. And I really like the definition you know, for wisdom and compassion is experience understood. 
experience really understood like deeply digested and understood and seen those qualities of experience which really matter not if i like it or if i don't like it but other other facts which are much more revolutionary and much more uh, you know freeing really and this uh, you know this is a more intuitive approach really uh, a synthesis of information taken from our experience through you know sati or mindfulness awareness by really paying attention to our experience without judging it in terms of you know what it is for me in terms of like or dislike but rather looking at it in other ways and you know that leads to new ways of looking at our lives and uh, you know and through these different ways of looking so looking at certain ex um, qualities or certain features of our experience we usually don't look at you know that leads to a new way of uh, looking at life and the mind adapts i've spoken about that also i think the last time how the mind really you know has the capacity to adapt if we really show it very clearly certain features of experience we usually try to not look at such as impermanence for example unsatisfactoriness so we really you know need to take the mind and really point it towards those features of experience and you know it's it's a kind of really a, a creative work for us and then you know new uh, insights start to emerge from that and my first teacher buddha dasa he always said you know that the work of meditation is an art and a science because it's more than just trying to uh pin things down it's a it's a it's a creative work it's an it brings innovation and that's exactly you know what we need we need complete to completely innovate our way of uh, being in the world which means you know we need to accept and integrate the limitations of being here and i think you know that the buddha dhamma is a very um expedient means describing to us you know the limitations and uh, helping us you know to uh break through them by recognizing them how they operate and adapting to that and uh, you know for example the four stages of awakening from stream entry up uh, to arahanthood uh that's you know that's four stages where there is a real deep adaptation to reality happening and that's what's called anuloma citta in the abhidhamma adaptation moment or adaptation uh, citta and it's like it's a bouncing back by opening oneself to being transformed so it's like a quantum leap so to say and you know a good way to describe it is for example you know that normally we see only the the 
surface of the ocean. But if such an anuloma cheetah happens, you know, then for a moment we see to the bottom of the ocean and then the water rushes back in. But we have seen the bottom of the ocean. We are changed. It will never going to be the same. Or, the, you know, a, a room which is dark for a million years, if we going to light the match for a moment, we can see that room and afterwards it's dark again, but we have seen it. So this kind of breakthrough and uh, yeah, just for a moment, you know, being nobody, for a moment really realizing our deep interdependence with everything and that we don't really exist, the emptiness, the not-self. And, you know, that's a very deep untangling from assumptions which happens in that moment and wearing down for a certain amount of habits and, you know, deep-seated assumptions. They're called the fetters or samyochanas in, in Pali. So every, at every stage of awakening, a certain amount of those fetters are permanently, you know, broken through. They don't come back. When the water rushes back in, we are changed. And uh, so that's, you know, that's the way how we can look at what's happening right now for us on, on this planet. And... Uh, I like the Pali word uh, nibida, which uh, is often translated as disenchantment. And when we literally look at this word nibida, it consists of two parts and it, it literally means not finding. You know, not finding what we are projecting on reality. And then at that moment, you know, when, the, when we see to the bottom of the ocean, we see, oh, it's not like that. And I think, you know, as a global society, we are also now at a time where we are starting to see, wow, it's very different than from what we always thought, you know. This limitless earth isn't really limitless. It's, it's a closed system. The biosphere is a closed system. Almost nothing leaves or comes in. The only part of this whole system which can change is us by recognizing the way things truly are. And, and I really think, you know, that can help us uh, have a different perception of uh, disturbances or obstacles on the path. And start to understand, you know, the obstacles actually are the path because they point us to something which we haven't seen yet. So, for example, in a forest fire, a forest fire has the function to simplify a system, a forest. And after the forest fire, the forest reorganizes itself new, either in a way, you know, that it, it continues to be a forest and adapts and, uh, you know, regrows, or it bifurcates and becomes something different, becomes like, for example, a, a savanna or something. So forest fire you know, is a 
powerful thing and we have just experienced one in September. But it has a function. And if forest fires are constantly, you know, suppressed because people live in the forests, then it's going to bring everything into a turmoil. If, if those are not accepted and understood as being part of how nature regulates itself. The teaching on impermanence, I think, is, is very, very um, helpful at this time. And uh, because the teaching on impermanence, you know, in, encourages us to face disturbance, that which is difficult to accept, to face it full on, you know. And uh, for example, you know, the fourth tetrad of the Anapanasati Sutta is concerned just with impermanence and by fully facing impermanence, what are the results, what is the um, effect on the mind. And uh, so, you know, the, the teaching goes like this. So facing impermanence, paying attention to it, leads to this nibida, to the not finding. And, you know, if we bring the mind back to impermanence again and again, impermanence of the breath, for example, or looking at thoughts, you know, how they arise and cease, then the mind uh, starts to let go of clinging, you know, the next uh, step, which in the Anapanasati Sutta would be dispassion or viraga, which means a uh, letting go of passion, a washing away of passion and then you know the grasp the the attachment is is becoming less through this uh, washing away of craving and uh, it's called viraga because the word ranj means to color and viraga means you know washing away of these colors and seeing seeing more clearly, and that translates into um, lessening of attachment or lessening of identification, and then through that we are able to see more clearly the whole uh, process. We can see endings as well, because usually we are very much glued on beginnings, new things, you know the beginning of a new relationship or having a baby or a puppy or something lovely, fresh, sweet, nice. And we don't so much like to look at endings. We don't like to look at dead people or dead puppies or dead flowers, all of those things. We, we have a preference for the fresh things. And that's kind of not a bad thing or a good thing. That's just the way it is. And it also has a function. So we, we care for, you know, babies. We care for immature beings. But we need to understand that. And then, you know, through the, the practice, start to pay attention to the whole spectrum and take that in, you know, take that really fully in. 
And that then leads to letting go. Seeing, you know, that everything which has a beginning has an end. A flower, a worldview, a culture, a civilization maybe even. Many, many, they all have a beginning, a middle and an end. And it's not outside of nature. This is just the way it is. You know, and the cutting edge is to look at one's own death, for example, and then extrapolate that on, you know, the death of a whole uh, way of living. And then the mind responds by, by letting go. So that's not something, you know, we have to do because we can't even do that. But the mind responds. After it really clearly sees that everything which arises ceases also. It just lets go. It's like, you know, like um, touching a flame and then the hand just automatically pulls away. We don't have to do it. That's like a bio-intelligence, you know, which is part of the body, which is everywhere. And, uh, and then, you know, we, as again, as Arjun Buddhadasa said, you know, throwing it all back to nature, giving it back. The rightful owner of all of this is not me, but nature. Nature is the owner. I'm just throwing it all back and saying, okay. That's what we need. And seeing ourselves as part of this uh, whole process. And I think, you know, this fourth tetrad of the Anapanasati Sutta can really help us to illustrate what we are now entering globally in terms of our civilization, our ways of living on this planet. It just, we are just at the end of that. And, you know, seeing the arising and ceasing in the meditation can really help us and prepare us and develop more resilience. So that we can see, you know, that, that when certain systems collapse, it's a creative destruction of that which no longer works. And it's like a forest fire, you know. If we, if we, you know, see it only in terms of me and mine, my house and my money and my whatever, my health even, you know, then it's a real disaster. But if we see it in a bigger context, then it is the way things and how nature works. And uh, I have a quote here by a French um, philosopher and soci sociologist. He's called Edgar Morin. He's a hundred years old uh, 
this year. And he summarizes that by saying, this is what history is. Emergencies and collapses, calm periods and cataclysms, bifurcations, whirlpools, the emergence of the unexpected. And sometimes, even in dark times, seeds of hope arise. To learn to think in that way, that is the spirit of complexity. And the most basic teaching of the Buddha, which comes to us from the Iron Age, it's a long time, through a long line of transmission, says, basically paints a very similar picture. And, you know, with the Buddha Dhamma, we have all the tools we need to meet this process and at the same time make it our practice. It will help us grow because it is true. Because the planet is passing into a new state and we are part of that process. And it's an, it's an honor actually to be able to consciously uh, be there for that process and do our part, you know, which means trying to step out of identification with me and mine and what I want and be open and available for this new stage, you know, of the evolution of this planet to manifest, to emerge. I find that actually very uh, exciting also. And, you know, and looking at experience in terms of uh, impermanence, dispassion, cessation and letting go is exactly the medicine we need. It's a, it's a law of nature. And uh, we can do that now together by... Finding a posture which you can sustain for about 35 minutes or so. And, you know, really taking our seat in the middle of all of this which is happening right now. And, you know, knowing we are part of it. And knowing we do have the tools to meet it, we will be changed by this.
So before you know, we go into the meditation, to just bring to mind, you know, why have you come to this retreat? Why do you practice, actually? And then becoming aware of the body sitting and breathing in and breathing out. Then again, you know, gritting your teeth for a moment and feeling the hardness, solidity, structure of earth element in the bones and the teeth, the fingernails. And we can start again at the top of the head, becoming aware of earth element, hardness of the skull bones. Then sweeping down to the neck with the vertebrae, earth element, hardness. Both shoulders, earth element. Both upper arms, earth element. Both lower arms. Earth element. Hands, earth element. And then uh, the torso with uh, the spine and the rib cage, earth element. Hips, pelvis, earth element. Upper legs, earth element. Lower legs, earth element. Feet, earth element. This whole body is permeated by earth element. Earth element internally and earth element externally are exactly the same earth element. Earth element is empty, empty of a self. And if we don't eat for one or two months, the body will fall apart. So the river 
the stones in the rivers and the mountains are exactly the same earth element as the earth element in our bones and teeth, fingernails. And then the cushion underneath is the so-called outer earth element. We can feel the gravity pulling us towards the planet. We never cut the umbilical cord with this planet we have. It's a constant exchange through eating, drinking, breathing, temperature, the four basic elements. And this truth is it can you know it can quote unquote rescue us from ourselves really. If we can open to the biointelligence of the elements. And that doesn't mean you know, that we don't exist. We do exist, but differently than what we think. We are not separate from this planet. We are an intricate part of it. That's why you know those systems can't be described by in scientific language. It's too complex. It's it's a paradox, really. It isn't. It isn't, and all of those things at the same time. You know, the linear thinking mind can't go there. It needs something else. It's uh, we call that intuition. Or panya. Panya is not a body of knowledge, you know, which we can uh, define and structure and pin down, but it's an intuitive knowing. And it is creative because it's a different way of synthesizing information, which can't be described really completely, but we can experience it. When we have an insight, so to say, or even, you know, one of the moments of a full awakening, a fruit moment, adaptation, chitta, it can't be described. We can only, you know, speak about it in similes, like, you know, seeing for a moment, seeing to the bottom of the ocean. And then being changed by that seeing. If the mind wanders off into thinking, then, you know, just noticing that and, you know, seeing what's underneath. 
Is it a pleasant feeling tone? Then it's probably a mind affected by greed. Is it an unpleasant feeling tone? Probably a mind affected by aversion. Or we just amble around delusion. And just seeing, you know, this is what we project then onto reality. And then we get really kind of confused and we run after things which don't really exist and therefore it's painful. And it we get into a real uh, trouble, you know. And we've gotten now globally into, into real trouble. But we can... open ourselves to that truth. And you know, bring a sense of uh, compassion in. But by considering one being, for example, you know, now affected by the repercussion of the ignorance which has been uh, creating a culture which has run itself into the wall. a little confused animal being which has you know lost its habitat not only animals but also you know human beings have to leave certain low-lying island states because they can't live there anymore it's it doesn't work anymore or because there is no more way of um, raising crops have to go somewhere else or other reasons May all beings be free from harm. May all beings be free from harm. And then, you know, feeling what that does to the heart center. What's the feeling there? And allowing that to permeate your whole body. May all beings be free from harm. With the in-breath, really taking in that feeling of... Uh, compassion and with the outbreath letting it gently radiate in front of you 
to one side. And behind you to the other side. Above and below. I'm sitting in an orb of metta. Or Karuna, rather, sorry. And allowing that uh, Karuna to, without any pressure, to just gently radiate. temporary liberation of the mind through compassion. If the mind wanders off into thinking about something, just gently bring it back to the compassion in the heart. And if you have lost that, maybe bringing up the image again. The mother who can't feed their children because there's no rain falling, or there's too much rain falling, or because there is the land has been completely submerged by the rising oceans. May all beings be free from harm. Then, uh, you know, coming to the next step by looking at impermanence through the process of breathing. When the in-breath has come to its natural, you know, maximum or end, then it changes and becomes an out-breath. or when a, a worldview, a, a cultural pattern, when it has come to its maximum, it can't go any further, it just needs to stop and breathe out, letting it go. That's how it works.
and looking at that process without judging, giving it the space it needs in order to function. Give room to change and, you know, being that flow. So that, uh, you know, allows this passion to manifest, to really seeing that. Keep an open mind and allowing it to be what it is. That is the medicine. So all experiences display impermanence. All phenomena display impermanence and yield liberation as their essence because of that. And the more we allow this, this passion to become, you know, to affect our mind, let's say, the more we are capable of seeing endings. Everything which arises is bound to cease. For example, you know, the ending of our life, our body. Everything which is born has to die at one point. It's not really actually the ending of life, but it's the ending of this body. Death is the opposite of birth, not the opposite of life. And in the same way as this body, you know, ends at one point, in the same way also a culture, civilization, a way of living comes to an end and changes into something else.
So when we breathe in, we can uh, you know, consider this could be my last breath. And then with the out breath, let, letting go, relaxing. This could be my last breath. And with the in-breath, you know, allowing that to come close. And with the out-breath, uh, letting go. And gradually learning that death is part of life. It's a, it's a healing, you know, making it more complete, seeing the whole picture. No longer running away from that. And through that, paradoxically becoming more alive. We can experience it for ourselves, and you know, it's a it's a relief, really. The truth to no longer try to push it away. And through that, you know, becoming more whole, becoming more complete, becoming more energized. being fully part of this process allows us to you know connect with a much deeper creative intelligence which is cut off you know if we don't work with our emotions our fears our aversion our greed it keeps us disconnected from That which cannot be named, really. I think we call it in Buddhism, we call it Dharma, which means, you know, nature, really. So, one translation for the word Dhamma. You know, not to uh, squander this opportunity.
by really connecting deeply and then uh, contributing from that depth, you know, contributing our bit for the benefit of all sentient beings and it also will make us, you know, to feel more at ease, really, and feeling enriched through being part of something much bigger than ourselves. By letting go of uh, identification, letting go of attachment, and opening to And this is, you know, what wisdom is in the Buddhist uh, approach. It's not a body of knowledge, which you can find in books, <coughs> but it's a letting go of attachment and trusting wisdom and uh, faith and wisdom, they work together. You know, trusting into that openness or into opening, rather. By living from that open place, free of attachment, living in that way. It's only when we, you know, hold on to these inadequate old ways that we make it we make everything only worse that way. So trusting you know in opening and trusting in emergence. That is, is the way to go.
and this you know emergence of uh, new innovative ways is often happening at times of greatest stress if we can stay steady and not shut down and give that opportunity for that emergence through us We all have a role to play. And at the same time it's uh, our practice. Being aware of the spaciousness, the silence. And that which knows the silence. That knowing operates without any need for an ego, for somebody. It's just being that knowing. The whole universe is inside of that knowing. as a man of speaking and that universe is constantly changing and the knowing is like a mirror And that's the refuge of Buddha which we can come back to any moment we step out of identification.
and that's not uh, outside of ourselves but that is the chitta So in a moment I'm gonna ring the bell. So you know, coming back to the process of breathing and the body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.